is Matthew Marlin from Chicago, and this WBEZ podcast is made possible with the support of listeners like me. Send WBEZ some love by making a donation online at WBEZ.org. Thanks. From WBEZ Chicago, I'm Jason Mark, and this is the best of BEZ Talk. With the Supreme Court striking key parts of DOMA and the Pride Parade grooving its way through Boys Town with 800,000-plus looking on, gay rights was a topic that a lot of people were talking about last week. Of course, in many parts of the world, LGBT communities aren't lining up to get married, and they're not partying in the streets. The folks at Worldview wanted to take a look at the state of gay rights in the Arab Mideast, so they called up Shireen Alfeki, the author of Sex in the Citadel, Intimate Life in a Changing Arab World. And she began by talking about the very notion of identifying oneself as gay in that culture. Many of the men and women I've spoken to across the Arab region, they they do self-identify as lesbian, gay, or, or transgender, transsexual. But a number of people who have sex with their own sex simply would not dream of using that, those terms, although they understand exactly what they mean. So people who cross the heterosexual line or who have a different gender identity, it's more fluid in the Arab region, and that also translates into uh, how they deal with uh, the constraints on their lives, whether it's legal or uh, social or indeed religious. Well, um, can you describe some of the uh, gay rights organizations in the Arab world? I've talked to um, a leader of a gay rights organization in Lebanon, and uh, there's others. Yes, and I, and I wouldn't go so far as to call it gay rights. There are groups that are trying to provide support to uh, men and women who have sex with their own sex or have a different gender identity. I'd say there are about half a dozen across the Arab region. The most developed are in uh, Lebanon, for example, Helm, which is the granddaddy of all groups, and they tend to focus mainly on, uh, on, on gay men in Beirut, although they are reaching out to other individuals. There's a group called Meme, which uh, works with queer women. There are some well-developed groups amongst Palestinians living in uh, Israel, and there are groups in uh, Morocco and Tunisia and Algeria and Egypt, even Syria, uh, groups that sprung up. Now, very often, some of these groups are just individuals with a laptop, quite frankly, but they are trying to provide psychological counseling. One of the major problems for people who have sex with their own sex or have a different gender identity is the law. So in Egypt, for example, although we don't have a law which explicitly criminalizes male sodomy, I have uh, male friends, uh, men who have sex with men, who have been routinely arrested and subjected to horrendous abuse in prison but also at the hands of the police. So trying to deal with law enforcement. In some cases, for example, Helm in Lebanon has been working uh, towards the uh, repeal of Article 534, which is a law in Lebanon which explicitly criminalizes um, what they call unnatural sexual acts. And, of course, unnatural is in the eye of the beholder. Uh, but in other places, as I said, they're trying to work with the police, and they're also trying to work with families. A lot of the uh, homophobia we see, irrespective of the law, is 
deeply entrenched. And so many men and women, uh, if when their families indeed find out that uh, they have same-sex uh, desires, very often it's, it's an immediate trip to the doctor or the psychiatrist to try to see if, if they can sort their son or daughter out. So there are lots of obstacles beyond the law to, to deal with, and many of these groups are just trying to cope with those on a, on a daily basis. And, and, and one of the biggest challenges is just reaching out to a wider world. Very often men and women who have sex with their own sex are quite isolated, women in particular, because they have more restrictions on their movement, whether they can go out at night. It, it, it's hard. And so that very basic personal psychological level of, of well-being and safety, that's where a lot of these groups are focusing their efforts at the moment. When I spoke with the um, head of Hellam, uh, he described a situation where he was immersing himself in the human rights community more broadly and uh, thought that, you know, he wasn't just out there for LGBT rights. He was out there for human rights and um, really drove uh, that idea because uh, they needed protection as much as other minority situations uh, in the country. That's absolutely uh, true, and I've, I've worked with the head of Helen and, and the uh, main players and a number of these other groups. I have to tell you, these, these individuals who have started these support groups, they are a minority of a minority. They're, they're highly educated. They uh, speak very good English or French. They're wired to the world. They, are, they know the history of the gay rights movement chapter and verse in the West. And like the uh, head of Helen, they are saying, look, we don't think this is relevant for us. There are so many other issues that need to be dealt with in our societies. We're looking at an absence of political, economic, social, and cultural rights, not just for people who have sex with their own sex or with the different gender identity, but for everyone. If you're not in the elite, the political or economic elite, your rights are being infringed on a daily basis. So there is no point in us trying to get rights for uh, a tiny minority when the majority lack that. And so it's a very pragmatic and sensible approach, in my opinion, to trying to find space in the emerging order. And you're quite right, these groups are aligning themselves, for example, with women's rights groups, uh, with human rights groups, with groups that are interested in the freedom of expression and, and assembly. You must remember that at the end of the day, for us in the Arab region, it doesn't matter whether you have sex with your own sex, or you are a career woman who can't find a husband because you defy gender expectations, or you're a young man who doesn't have a job and therefore can't afford to get married, you basically have all of the same problem. You're outside what I call the citadel, which is the fact that the only socially accepted context in the Arab region for sex is marriage, and it's marriage that's approved by your family and registered with the state and approved by religion. And if you're outside that citadel, you're not supposed to be having sex. So it doesn't matter whether you are uh, uh, gay or, or, or lesbian uh, or you're just a single person. It's a spectrum of exclusion. And so what they're saying is let us work to bring everyone into the fold. At the end of the day, those are the gains that are going to really uh, stick. Are there aspects of the religious community in the Middle East that are accepting of LGBT rights? Are there any advocates within religious communities? I'll speak specifically of uh, Islam, and in in particular Sunni Islam, which is the dominant uh, faith uh, in the Arab region, and it shapes 
uh, certainly the laws of many countries in the region. Publicly, you do not have religious figures coming out and saying, yes, we think there should be accommodation for uh, people who cross the, the heterosexual line. And in fact, many of the most prominent religious uh, figures, even ones who are perceived to be on the more moderate side of, of Islam, like uh, Sheikh Otaradawi, uh, come down hard on, on homosexuality. This is sort of zero tolerance. Okay, so that's the public face. The private face is a little different, and this I know from personal experience, because of over the course of a number of years, with my work on HIV-AIDS in the Arab region, we have an emerging epidemic, uh, there was a series of workshops that assembled religious leaders, Muslim and Christian, with men who have sex with men. And it was absolutely fascinating, because when we first brought them together, the religious leaders had all these ideas about men who have sex with men, that they're pedophiles, that they're rapists, that they're debauched, it just went on and on and on. And the men who have sex with men were extremely wary of religious leaders, very often because they had gone to seek religious counsel. They wanted to see how can we live within the parameters of our faith. We are good Muslims. We are good Christians. We want to stay with our faith. Where is the space for us? But when they went to talk to religious leaders, they got an earful of fire and brimstone. And as one of the men I interviewed in my book said, and then the religious leader had sex with me for an hour. So there was a lot of mutual suspicion. Huh. Over the course of a couple of years, though, it was amazing to see the transformation because these religious leaders and these gay men came to relate to each other as men, as human beings. And the religious leaders said, look, we had no idea that these men were suffering in the way we, they do. I cannot tell them, one religious leader, uh, an imam of a mosque in Damascus, told me, I cannot tell him that it is halal, that it is permitted in Islam. I do not believe that. But these men are our brothers. We need to find a way to accommodate them in society. Let us look at the flexibilities within Islam, among them the notion of privacy, for example, and uh, freedom from uh, violence and discrimination. Let us look at the flexibilities and see how we can live together. And so that was a very positive step, but it is a rare step, and it is an increasingly difficult step to take now that we have religious conservatives like the Muslim Brotherhood, and they're even more conservative uh, cousins, if you like, the Salafis, in political power in Egypt and Tunisia and a number of other countries in the region. You're listening to Worldview on WBEZ. I'm Jerome McDonald, and I'm talking with Shireen El-Faki. She's the author of the book Sex and the Citadel, Intimate Life in a Changing Arab World, and we're talking about the LGBT community in the Arab world. Uh, how far do you think a lot of communities are from outright um, persecution of LGBT people? Because uh, in the during the war in Iraq, we saw a sadistic... Uh, detailed crackdown on the LGBT community where satirists were uh, killing uh, and torturing gay people, uh, and it led to asylum being um, part of uh, LGBT people becoming part of the asylum process in the U.S. Uh, this, is, this was really a shocking incident. Um, how, how close to the surface is that with some of these Salafi movements and, uh, and others? Very often religious conservatives seize upon sex and also the body of, the woman, of a woman, actually, um, as a way to prove their street cred, to show that they are so-called good Muslims. And what they forget, of course, is that homosexuality has a long history in the Arab region and Islam. And although they 
paint it as some sort of Western import. The reality is that it is part of the history of our of our region. Um, I would say that certainly the the persecution is it, it, absolutely real, and, and it's not just in war torn uh, countries like 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 Iraq. As I said, we find it in Egypt, even in the absence of a law which uh, is criminalizing uh, the behavior. Uh, police take it upon themselves to to occasionally crack down on particularly men, not so much women. <laughs> Lesbianism is, is not very well understood in the Arab region today, although a thousand years ago, if you go back to the great writings of Arabic erotica, it was uh, discussed in great detail. Uh, but today it's mainly the crackdown that's focused on, on men. What I have to say, however, is that generally speaking, if you keep your behavior behind closed doors, and particularly if you're wealthy, uh, or more privileged, you can more or less get on with with your life. The problems are particularly for those who may be taking it out of the home, so in a public place. What most people in the Arab region are looking for, in my experience, is not the uh, freedom to uh, come out. What they what they really want is the freedom to uh, to, to stay in, and uh, really lead their sexual lives as they choose uh, behind closed doors. And, and so as one man I interviewed in, in Egypt, and he was on the receiving of just tremendous abuse, he said to me, look, um, what do I want? If I were to ask for this gay pride, what would I really be asking for? To go and kiss a man in the street? No, that's not what I want. I am Muslim. I'm Egyptian. I want to live within the limits of an Eastern society. All that I'm asking for is respect. Respect for me because I am a human not because I am gay. And that's central to what many aspire to in what we are hoping will be an emerging democratic and a more transparent and accountable political system in, in countries across the region in the generations to come. That's Shireen El Fecky. She's a writer, broadcaster, and academic. She's the author of Sex in the Citadel, Intimate Life in a Changing Arab World. And that's just one of the many great conversations that took place last week on the morning shift, the afternoon shift, and Worldview here at WBEZ. So chime in. What do you like? What don't you like? What topics would you like to hear about? Give us a call, drop us an email, send us a tweet, post on our Facebook page. We want you to help us set the agenda. Cool? Cool. The Best of BEZ Talk is a production of Chicago Public Media. Subscribe to this and all of our podcasts in iTunes. And when you get there, give us a little rating. Give us a review. It takes two shakes. Really appreciate that. Thank you. For more information about who we are and what we do, go to chicagopublicmedia.org. Until next week, I'm Jason Mark. Thanks for listening.